and should never be counted out is your heart, right? Mm -hmm. So they can't see your work ethic. They can't see your grind. They can't see your vision. And it's those same people that will tell you over and over and over and over that you're crazy. And yet we all know that there is a fine line between brilliance and insanity. And you have to be crazy committed, right? Because if somebody else saw what you saw, they probably would have already done what you were doing. I don't know about you, but I've been enjoying the Women's FIFA World Cup and I'm so thrilled to see the conversation on gender equity that has arisen alongside the excitement of the sport. As we continue to be in awe of the performance of so many of the teams, I was inspired to bring this week's Billion Dollar Bite to the world of a sport which I see so many parallels in the world of venture and business. This week's conversation zooms in on a pretty candid conversation I had with Coach Jen Walter, who tackled her football career with tenacity and an unprecedented track record of pioneering first. What does it take to be the first and the only? How do you turn being seen as the token woman to being taken seriously as a team player? From building on her career in women's football, which included two gold medals with Team USA, to breaking through the biggest boys club of all, the NFL, as the first female coach in the league, I thought her billion dollar moves deserved a listen this week. I grew up in Vero Beach, Florida, where football is like a way of life. It is the sport. The whole town shuts down. There were no lights brighter, right? And I looked on the field and it was like, the guys looked like real life superheroes to me. And I just wanted to be one. And it was the first place in the world that somebody really told me that there was a difference between what girls could do and what boys could do. So it's kind of like I had a football crush from afar, right? It was like, you have that crush, you always hope they'll notice you back, but it wasn't my time yet. And so I fell in love with tennis. I played it uh, for years and years was actually ranked at my highest time at like 50 in the state of Florida. And I think part of why I loved it is because it was the one sport that you could really see women on TV, right? And I thought they were everything a woman should be, right? Beautiful, powerful, doing the darn thing, right? And nobody was telling them what they could do. And then I went to a coach who was supposed to be the one to take me to the next level. Just want y'all to know, though I've done big things, they come in a really small package. And I had not yet reached my top height of five foot two inches. And I certainly had not found the gym yet. So this tiny little skinny girl goes to this new coach and he told me because of my height and my build, I would never be strong enough to play pro tennis. And it's not like I threw the racket down that day and just quit, but it was like, if it's not possible, why am I fighting to get on court every day? And so instead of fighting to get on the court, I started finding other things to do. Yet, thankfully, what I did do is decide I never wanted anybody to tell me I, I was not strong enough again. So I started lifting weights before most women were. And then actually really transitioned to team sports and found my place in my space because I didn't have to have all of the answers by myself. You know, that's the beauty of team sports. You can really be great at what you're great at and other people can be better at their own special sauce. And yet together, you know, we can take over the world. I think sports are such, especially team sports, are such great lessons for girls because we see that you're not on an island. It wasn't like, you know, a solo sport like tennis. And what I found is that the energy that I brought and the competitive spirit that I had, you know, leveled up all of the teams that I played on. And then when I got to college, I actually found rugby 
Boy, oh boy, that was like love at first sight. It was soccer meets football, and they don't wear pads, and I finally got to tackle. And so I played for four years, got recruited Mm -hmm. to the under-23 national team. And at that time, they told me at that level, even though I dominated everyone and, you know, the number one prop at the tryouts, they said at that level, they could teach someone else to do what I did, but they could not double my size. So yet again, being too small stopped my athletic career. So there was a lot of times where I was told no, and it wasn't possible. Yeah. Well, you know, Coach Jen, I think there's a lot to unpack here with regards to your journey. And, you know, a lot of it certainly resonates. And that's why I think, you know, you're really the perfect guest for the show as well, because in the world of uh, finance, you know, gender venture funding gap, we talk about this sort of the 2.2% that goes to female founders. You know, we're often told we're not supposed to be doing these things. Earlier this morning, you know, conversation that I had with my alma mater uh, in Kings was about imposter syndrome, right? And the fact that oftentimes women are told that we don't belong and that's part of why we feel the way we did. And and I'm curious to understand just from your journey there, and, and it's interesting that someone of authority, right? I, and I think you mentioned this before, a coach who we as young girls are taught to sort of look up to, tell us this is something we cannot do. How did you then sort of create that shift in your own mindset to say, maybe he thinks this is what I can't do, but I think otherwise. And how do you keep going despite, you know, being told by someone who at that time, you know, you sort of supposed to accept that as reality. You know, I think what's so hard is as kids were told to respect authority and to let them be the right. And not all of them are right all the time. Right. Because the one thing that can never be quantified and should never be counted out is your heart. Right. Mm -hmm. So they can't see your work ethic. They can't see your grind. They can't see your vision. And it's those same people that will tell you over and over and over and over that you're crazy. And yet we all know that there is a fine line between brilliance and insanity. And you have to be crazy committed. Right. Because if somebody else saw what you saw, they probably would have already done what you were doing. And so being first, being an innovator, being a disruptor means that the majority of people are not going to get you. And that means they're not going to know what's for you. And a lot of the times the advice that we get is from people who are speaking from the scar tissue of their own heart, from the loss that they experienced, from the pain and the dreams that they did not get. And they think that they're saving you, right? Mm -hmm. By keeping you from, you know, being let down. And yet at the same time, they're prohibiting you from actually letting you live. And I talk to people about that all the time because there was not one person who ever looked at me and said, you know what, Jen Welter, (laughs) you'll be one of the best football players in the world one day. Right. Right. The coach didn't even think I could play tennis. I do sometimes want to go back and tell him, though, you know, coach, you were absolutely right. I could not have been strong enough to play pro (laughs) tennis. I played pro football instead. Right. Right. But we don't have that knowledge at that time. Right. Yet the grind, the hustle, the what we are, the, the power of passion. We can do crazy things and we can defy crazy odds. Right. That's why it's exceptional because you are an exception. You are breaking the rules. You are doing those things. But even when I stepped 
onto the football field for the first time, right? When I finally got the opportunity to try out for that football team, I remember it was like this love that I'd had my whole life, but now it was close, right? It was like right. that boy I always had a crush on and all of a sudden he wanted to take me out on a date. And then you're like, ooh, but what if he has the dead fish palm hand, right? Like, <laughs> isn't as good as I thought, right? right. And, and, you know, you kind of hesitate. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I can handle getting turned down again, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if I could handle them telling me I'm not big enough. I'm not enough again. Mm -hmm. And what I finally realized was I could live with being too small. I've been my, too small my whole life. But what I could not live with was wondering for the rest of my life, what would have happened if I would have just gone out for that football team? And I say that and I tell that story because what I did not want to do was wonder what if for the rest of my life. We can get over rejection. We can get over not getting it, not having someone pick up the phone, not always winning. But that life lived of wondering what you could have been. That was what I did not want to be my narrative. And I say that as somebody who has made history multiple times, a eight-time Pro Bowler, four rings, you know, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, all those things, right? Like my $12 check, the first check I ever made for playing women's pro football is in the Football Hall of Fame because I want people to know what that takes. And yet I could have been somewhere very different today if I would have let fear define me. Love that. Absolutely. And, you know, I do want to pick a couple of points here, but let's start with then your transition to football. I heard, you know, part of your story and that bring you on the show to really unpack that. But I heard somebody wanted to benefit from some publicity of having you running around. And that really <laughs> turned things for you and was really how you got a leg in where you wanted to be. Tell us a little bit more about that. Here I was 2013. Okay. I finally get my PhD and win my second gold medal. So things are pretty good, right? Pretty good in terms of where you want to get to in terms of life goals. And yet got back from winning our second gold medal and my team, the Dallas Diamonds, one of the dynasty of women's football, they're no longer going to be able to put the team on the field. So all of us, the, some of the best women in the world found our team gone all of the sudden. And I get this call a few months later from the Texas Revolution, which was a men's indoor football league team. They wanted to meet with me. So I'm not going to lie, y'all. I put on really tall shoes that day. I was going to be a leader <laughs> when I took that meeting, right? I got to walk tall into this one. But I didn't really know what they wanted. And it was an interesting dynamic, you know, having that PhD in psychology. I watched the coach who wanted to be anywhere but there. It was like, he didn't want to make eye contact because if he didn't ever make eye contact, maybe this wasn't happening and I didn't exist, right? Meanwhile, the president of the team was like, Jan Welter, we are so excited to have you. We think it would be amazing if you would go through a day of training camp with our guys. And I was like, oh, oh, so do you mean you want me to come in and smile for the cameras and run some ladder drills and catch some passes? And he was like, yeah. And I said, absolutely not. That is an insult to me as somebody who just won my second gold medal. And if I was any one of the guys on your team, I would absolutely hate it. If you want to do anything with me in this football team, either I do everything step for step, hip for hip, or I do nothing at all. 
as soon as those words came out of my mouth, I knew without a shadow of a doubt it was happening. I was going to play pro football against men and I might have just gotten myself killed. Clearly, they wanted you to be the token woman. How do you turn it around to say, wait a minute, I deserve to be here and I'm going to train just as hard or twice or thrice as hard to do what I need to do, even if that means getting killed, but I'm going to do what, what's required of me. How do you do that and how do you convince others who clearly didn't believe in you and wanted to look down. Right. You know, I think first thing, you know, we always talk about diversity, right? And, mm -hmm. and that's what we're talking about right now when you said a token woman. But diversity is only good as the actual inclusion, meaning inclusion and having a voice in the conversation, right? Because we are better when we have more diverse perspectives, right? We know this, there's research on it, the vantage points multiply, the angles that we look at situations, all of those things are improved. So it has to be that when we change those dynamics that might've been, you know, 100% male to now included female, that we as female make sure we don't leave our voice at the door, okay? Mm -hmm. We have to come to the room and bring it. Now, I also say we have to develop allies. Those guys on the football field, they needed to know two things about me. Number one, that I belonged. I was there for the right reasons. I was there for the football. I was not going to throw up my hands and say, you can't hit me. I'm a girl. That was the job description. Running back, I'm getting tackled. That is the job description. Now, thankfully, we are talking more figuratively for a lot of people, hopefully in the boardroom. But for me, being there for the right reasons meant I was going to take the same hits, run the same drills, do the same things. And I was there for the game. It didn't mean I had to be the best, but I was going to give my best effort and get back up every time I got knocked down. And the other thing was that we could get along. And this is a really interesting topic when you're paralleling, especially to what's going on with companies now, because yes, you're right. They're saying, okay, we need to do the right thing. We need to, you know, have women on our board. And yet part of the reason they're doing it is because of fear, right? Fear of backlash. And that means that a lot of them are super uncomfortable, right? They're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. How do we let a woman in here? And so I use a whole lot of humor, right? That is one of my biggest secrets to success. I, number one with the guys, I always assume that they want me there. Now, mm. is that true? No, it's absolutely not true. Some of them absolutely do not want you there. But if you look for a fight, you can always find one, okay? Mm. And yet, at the same time, I will take the power right out of your fight or what you perceive as an insult because I'm not going to let you win over me. And I say that because I've had women say, okay, well, what do you do, for example, in a boardroom if a guy says, oh, you're tough? I said, oh, I said, thank you. What if you know he's saying you're tough and he means it as an insult? Oh, I said, oh, I said, oh my goodness, thank you so much. Because what he's not going to do is come back and say, oh, actually, I was trying to insult you, okay? What a bully does is try and pick on your insecurity. So I, I can make it seem like being tough or knowing your stuff or raising your voice is a negative. Then I am going to be in your head and I'm going to take some of your power, some of your poison, Away, some of your position away. And guess what? He wins then. 
But if you don't give him that energy, if you're like, oh, thank you so much. I do agree. I am tough. I work hard. I go to the gym, whatever it is. Or mentally, yes, I'm a great negotiator. What he goes is that didn't work. We all have pre-programmed responses in your mind, right? We How we expect people to respond. And when you do not feed into those responses in the way that particularly bullies and insecure people will assume, then guess what? They don't know what to do with you. And they are likely not going to come back at you because they did not get the response that they need. So ladies, when we go into those situations, assume that you are wanted. Make your cases known. Make your voice valuable. Add value where you can. And oh, by the way, develop allies, which means someone who will say, oh yeah, that was a good point, right? And oh, by the way, if somebody gives you a really hard time, ask him later, like, are you having a bad day? Because that seemed like a little aggressive to me. Sometimes they don't know. I always give everybody one mulligan, assuming that it was clearly a disconnect between brain and mouth. You could not have possibly meant to be so insulting. I also have a catchphrase that works. You do realize you said that out loud, right? But (laughs) what it does is if they didn't mean to be that way, and they or they didn't mean to say something that was off color, they will retract. Oh, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Right? We've all had those moments where, you know, the words came out of our mouth and we kind of wished we could have them back. And thanks so much for tuning in this week. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow our socials on Sarah Chen Global to get the latest on the show. It would really help me out too if you enjoyed this to rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts and share your favorite episodes with a friend. I'm Sarah Chen Spellings and you've been listening to Bill and Dollar Moves.